0: That's chat is brought to you by Walters. While the national season may be winding down, fall sports are just around the corner. Are you looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft with over 30 TVs, free Wi-Fi and buckets of wings and beers? There's no better place to host your draft party than Walters.
1: With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Another 2-2 is coming home. Swinging a long drive to left field. Brinson back on this one to the track, to the wall, and it's gone. Trace Barrera has two home runs this season. Both come against the
4: Marlins. He puts the Nationals in front of the fourth inning. It's two to nothing. Here's a swing and a long drive to left by Zimmerman. This ball is going, going, and gone goodbye over the bullpen over the auxiliary scoreboard bang zoom goes the z-man his 12th home run of the year rbis 41 and 42 and it's now the nationals five and the marlins nothing one ball
3: two strikes Fetty looking for strikeout number 10. he deals and he has it strike three called with a curveball of the outside first time as a major leaguer that eric Fetty has double-digit strikeouts he has fanned 10 miami marlins through six shutout innings
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 25th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, no matter how bad things ever get for the Nationals this season or in any other season, always know that the Miami Marlins reside in the National League East. And barring the unforeseen, the Miami Marlins will continue to reside in the National League East for many years to come. The Nats may not be a very good team. But the Marlins are worse. The Marlins are one of the more pathetic franchises in pro sports, really. It's a shame in a lot of ways that the Marlins have two World Series championships. But in front of a crowd of dozens on Tuesday night in Miami, the Nationals got off to a very nice start in this three-game series at the Marlins. A 5-1 win in a game in which Eric Fetty legitimately had one of the best outings of his career. But if you know your Eric Fetty history, you know that he gets fat and happy when facing the Marlins. The Marlins are a get-right team. They make you feel better about yourself, and the Nationals, for at least a day, can feel better about themselves.
1: 5,394, Al, the official paid attendance at, what's it called now, Lone Depot Park with a lowercase L. Don't forget that. That's the announced attendance. So that doesn't mean that's how many people were actually there. Just watching it on TV, I felt like I was watching the 2020 game again where like they needed the artificial crowd noise to make it, you know, sound like something it looked dead in there. But good for Eric Fetty. this is a team that he has had success against. It is now an 0.98 ERA for him in 5 career starts against them. So good for him for being able to do that. And I kind of feel like it didn't matter who he was facing in this game. I think that would have been effective against anybody. His command was on point, his curveball was fantastic, his cutter was sharp, pretty efficient up until maybe the 7th inning. I thought that was a legit performance, even against a tougher lineup. I think he would have had success tonight.
0: Well, he was great. There's no doubt about that. And I do give him credit because he needed this. He needed this in the worst way. I think kind of an underrated development over the last few months is how Fetty's season has fallen apart. His numbers on the season were really bad coming into this game. I think probably worse than most people would think. He was good for a while this year. He's had some bad luck this year, no doubt, you know, testing positive for COVID-19 despite being vaccinated, then uh, getting this weird oblique strain and going on the 10-day injured list. Since he had come off the IL, he had not been good, but he was really good on Tuesday night. One run in six into third innings, 10 strikeouts versus six hits and one walk. The six hits were a double and five singles. He threw strikes, 69 strikes versus 34 balls on hundred three pitches. And the one run that was charged to him, it was a shame that he got charged with that run because uh, that was a situation in which Andres Machado allowed an inherited runner to score. Fetty was charged with a run in the bottom of the seventh. He gave up a one-out first pitch single to Jorge Alfaro, followed by a one-out six-pitch walk of Brian De La Cruz, who Fetty did have down at 1.12. And then the run scored with Machado pitching. But otherwise, Fetty was really good. It was so nice to see him get back to striking guys out. That was something that he was doing earlier this season. Now, there is sort of this asterisk that you have to put on this, I think, even though Fetty was good. The Marlins are a terrible hitting team. Like, the Marlins, if you want to try to silver line them, you could at least say, well, they have some good young pitching. But the Marlins hitting is just awful. The Marlins came into this game 26 out of 30 major league teams in team-weighted runs created plus at plus 88, which is so bad on the year. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen this this season. We've seen guys like Fetty and Patrick Corbin and even John Lester do well against really bad hitting teams like the Marlins. So, you know, we're not going to do cartwheels over this, but he needed this and he came through with this. And to that extent, I will give him credit for that.
1: Yeah. uh, I mean, they're top three hitters. Maybe I'm at Rojas. We always know he's just a pest up there at the plate. I like Jazz Chisholm. I mean, he's, he's an exciting young player. He's, He's still raw. He's got a lot of things to figure out, but both at the plate and in the field, I like him. And Lewis Brinson seems like he's got some talent, although I don't believe he's a number three hitter or should be a number three hitter in the big leagues. He does not fit that profile at all. After that, yeah, it's a lot of who's this guy through the rest of their lineup. But again, I think the stuff was was legitimate in this game, no matter who he was facing. And the thing with Fedde is, I mean, this is about the fourth or fifth start this year he's had kind of like this. This might have been the best of them. Remember that start in Arizona earlier in the year? He had that stretch of, I think it was three straight, and he had 20 scoreless innings going. So, I mean, he has it in him. He does. It's just a matter of finding it consistently from start to start. And I thought it was interesting that he noted the reason that the curveball he thought was so effective is he changed his grip, and he actually learned it, of all people, from Sam Clay, who is a (laughs) left-hander.
2: Honestly, about four or five starts ago, I had a talk with Sam Clay because I, I know he's lefty, but I thought we threw kind of similar. And I was looking at, you know, some of, I don't know, when I'm sitting on the bench, I look up through the iPads of people pitching. And uh, I don't know, I just kind of had a conversation with him on how he threw it. And I adopted the grip and it immediately clicked. And I think the last four or five starts, I've had more swings and misses on it or bad takes. So ever since then, I, it's just
1: been good. So I'm thankful for him they tinkered around with it and he said he didn't change anything about the way he throws it but just the point of grip of where he holds the ball in a different seam and he said it made it tighter it made it sharper he felt like it made a huge difference and i mean you can't argue with the results he got a ton of swing and misses on that pitch in this game and now let's see can he do it again but if so you know maybe there's a little something there that he discovered out of the blue
0: Yeah, I mean, mimic Sam Clay's curveball. Don't mimic his (laughs) results. But yeah, man, uh, you know, do whatever you got to do to get results. And he got results. I mean, it's so odd with Fetty because for a while this season, he was trending in such a great direction. Eric Fetty, over his first 10 starts of this season, had an ERA of 333. Like, this was a really nice story. And then things fell apart. And hopefully, maybe, possibly, uh, things get back on track here. But very good job. I mean, 10 strikeouts, it's hard to complain about that and uh, Fetty with hopefully a confidence-building outing at the Marlins on Tuesday night. Fetty did a good job on Tuesday night. The Nats bullpen did a good job on Tuesday night. Three Nats relievers officially combined for two and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. The nit to pick would be Machado allowing that inherited runner to score, but he also had two strikeouts to get the final two outs there in that bottom of the seventh. Then we saw Kyle McGowan pitch for the first time in a long time. The Nats on Sunday having reinstated McGowan from the 10-day injured list, which he had been on since July 11th due to a right biceps issue. A McGowan on Tuesday night, a perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. And Kyle Finnegan on Tuesday night, a scoreless bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts Finnegan now five for seven on saves he has an ERA at 284 like we've said you know he doesn't overwhelm you with his stuff and uh you know the strikeout rate it's only 9.1 so it's like he's not blowing people away but by and large he's doing a pretty good job in this role and the Nats bullpen did a good job on Tuesday night
1: yeah Finnegan what I like is he doesn't seem phased by the situations and he's been throwing in some big ones here since taking over as as their de facto closer. I like that. And I like Machado as well, not really being phased. And yeah, there was the one inherited runner at the tough hitter he had to face in uh, Jesus Aguilar, but he came back from that. We mentioned Miguel Rojas earlier, who is just consistently, year in and year out, one of the toughest hitters for the Nationals to get out. And I thought that was a great sequence. He froze him with a fastball. And I mean, Rojas is not a guy who takes a lot of pitches, certainly not in the zone. I thought that was a really nice sequence from Machado. And I'll let the one inherited runner score. I'll kind of give him a pass on that because of how he followed it up to get out of that inning. So I thought that was good. He looks like he could be a piece moving forward. As we keep saying, there are a lot of inexperienced relievers who they are throwing to the wolves right now and seeing who can handle it and who can't. They've made some moves, calling guys up, sending some down, bringing some off the IL like McGowan. I think the plan here is give them all a look as much as you can over the next six weeks. And when you get to the end of the season, you hope you found maybe three of them who seem like they are suited for this kind of responsibility.
0: The last time we watched the Nationals was that 7-3 loss at the Milwaukee Brewers as those two games at Milwaukee over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, uh, took years off all of our lives. Nats pitching in that game, 11 walks. Uh, Nats pitching on Tuesday night, one walk. 16 strikeouts versus one walk. That's more like it. Obviously, the Marlins lineup had something to do with that, but Nats pitching got the job done for sure in this game, allowing just the one run. Now, it was a very busy Tuesday for the Nationals. Maybe the biggest item had nothing to do with the Major League Club. We'll get to that in just a bit. But just with the Nats' Major League bullpen, a flurry of roster moves being made on Tuesday afternoon, just to go through them real quick, the Nats did recall their new pitching coach, apparently, Sam Clay. Uh, He was recalled from Triple A Rochester. Nats had optioned him to Rochester back on August 11th. The Nats recalled Patrick Murphy from Triple A Rochester. I'm anxious to see him. So, Patrick Murphy is the guy who the Nats on August 14th claimed off waivers from Toronto. Patrick Murphy is a guy who has dealt with control and injury issues, but he was the Blue Jays' number 16 prospect per MLB pipeline at the time. The Nats, you may recall, they uh, released the catcher Renee Rivera and claimed Murphy off waivers on that day. I thought that was a sneaky, shrewd move by Mike Rizzo, but also on Tuesday for the Nationals, they optioned Gabe Klobositz to AAA Rochester. So Klobo is no more, at least for now. We'll probably see him again. The Nats designated Jeffrey Rodriguez for assignment, which I'm sure brought a tear to Davey Martinez's eye. And the Nats announced that Javi Guerra, who had been DFA'd on Sunday, cleared outright waivers, which tells you a lot, but has declared for free agency. Could have accepted an assignment to AAA, uh, but Javi Guerra has opted to leave organization so so more bullpen shuffling for the nationals on tuesday
1: yeah and i think we're going to continue to see a lot of this kind of stuff like i said they just want to get a look at as many guys as they can and as much as they're using them they are going to have to make moves with the guys who have options to send them down because maybe they're not going to be available for a few days after throwing a lot so i think that's what happened with klobis you know who he had a rough weekend in milwaukee really lost command of everything and he was also the uh pitcher that didn't cover the plate correct on the bizarre pop-up sack fly play
0: yeah we don't know exactly whose fault that is but he was involved in that yeah
1: yeah so i think you send him back down you let him work on some stuff you've kind of gotten a sense of what he can be i don't think they're giving up on him at all and we will see him again but they want to get a look at some of these others including murphy uh, a guy who they're intrigued by he throws hard he has big strikeout numbers also pretty high walk total in his uh career but I thought it was interesting. I mean, he was sort of the victim of a numbers game in Toronto and they wound up having to DFA him because they needed the roster spot for somebody else. And Charlie Montoyo, their manager, seemed a little upset by it and said, I think he's going to be a big leaguer in the long run. And so he's with the Nationals now and we're going to get a look at him. So I'm intrigued to see that. Clay, they had him working on stuff. Let's see, has he figured it out as he comes back up? But I mean, it is going to be on and off, a probably revolving door the rest of the way. Will we see Jeffrey Rodriguez again? I don't know. And this is where, I mean, we we talked about him at times over the summer. Part of me feels bad for him because he was thrown into a difficult spot where they needed an emergency start for a doubleheader way back when they called him up. He made the start. And now, because he was out of options all along, they couldn't send him down without risking losing him. So they decided to keep him the entire time and then bury him in their bullpen to be the mop-up man and pitch once a week. And that's not a great spot for anybody to be in, certainly not a younger pitcher who maybe still has some potential, maybe even as a starter. They didn't want to risk losing him. Now, were other teams knocking on the door? If they had put him on waivers, would he have been claimed right away? I don't know. But I would think at this point, given what we've seen from him, I'd be surprised if another team claimed him. So maybe there is a chance he gets outrighted and remains
0: in the organization. (laughs) Hey, Nats fans, this
1: is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Jordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington Nationals stars today. Visit frednats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Here's the kick of the pitch. Ground ball up the middle, and it's through for a base hit. Lane Thomas comes through again. Garcia will score. It's an RBI single for Thomas. His fourth run batted into the season, his third with the Nationals, and the Nationals lead 3-0. Well, the Nats have hit for the cycle this inning. A triple, a homer, a double, and now a Thomas single, and they have three on the board against Lazardo.
0: Well, one of the other really nice things about the Nats' win on Tuesday night was that you got another productive game from multiple potential building blocks for the Nats. Like, Eric Fetty is the headline because he pitched so well, but this was another game in which you can really sink your teeth into some performances by guys who maybe, just maybe, are going to be a part of something moving forward. So Tress Barrera continued this nice run here for the Nationals in terms of the catching competition with uh, Barrera and Riley Adams. Of course, Riley Adams has been hitting so well. Barrera for a while was hitting well, then cooled off, and that was kind of heated up again. And Tress on Tuesday night as an ad starting catcher and number seven batter, three for four with a two-run homer and a couple of singles. Top of the second, he has a one-out single on an 0-2 pitch. In the Nats' three-run fourth, he has a one-out, two-run homer to left field off the Marlins starter, the former Nats prospect, Jesus Lazardo. Boy, was it interesting watching him on Tuesday night. Barrera, at one point in that count, was down 1-2, ends up homering off Lazardo. the homer going a projected 395 feet per stat cast, and Barrera in the top of the fifth delivering a two-out single. Something that Barrera's been doing in recent games is he gets down in counts and he's still able to come through with productive plate appearances. He did this multiple times on Tuesday night. And then there was Mike Trout, a.k.a. Mickey Mantle, a.k.a. Lane Thomas, who was at it again for the Nationals. He was their starting center fielder and leadoff batter in this game on Tuesday night. Remember, Davey Martinez on Sunday told us that Victor Robles has been under the weather. OK, we take Davey's word for it. We did see Robles later in this game and he drew a walk. So, you know, take Davey at his word, I suppose. But Lane Thomas uh, was starting in center field and batting in the leadoff spot again. And Lane on Tuesday night, one for four with an RBI single and a walk. And he had another outfield assist, although it wasn't all his work, but he got credited with an outfield assist. Top of the third, leadoff eight-pitch walk, despite having been down in that count at 1.02. In that Nats three-run fourth, he had a two-out RBI single on a 1-2 pitch. And then he got credited with the outfield assist, first out, bottom of the fourth, on a Brian Anderson double off the base of the wall in right center, Thomas plays the ball perfectly, fires the ball to Alcides Escobar, who then throws the ball to Carter Kibum at third base, and then Kibum tags Jesus Sanchez, who had run way past third base and then retreated back to third base, only to be tagged out.
3: Sanchez got the stop sign from Trey Hillman. The relay throw executed perfectly, and so on the double by Anderson, Sanchez has gone down rounding third with he will applying the tag for the first out
0: lane thomas now over 25 plate appearances with the nats 10 for 19 a triple two doubles seven singles six walks a stolen base and two outfield assists thank you john lester thank you st louis cardinals pretty good huh not bad
1: if he never plays another game for the nationals again did they win the trade
0: they won the trade three days ago, I feel like. This is incredible <laughs> what this guy is doing. I can't get over it.
1: Every time he reaches base, I tweeted out what his numbers are now, and I get responses from people in St. Louis who are just furious <laughs> with the way that all worked out for them. But, hey, look, good for him taking advantage of this opportunity. They're going to keep giving him opportunities, uh, I think especially against lefties. Robles did appear to be feeling better. He did pregame workouts and obviously felt well enough to return and come off the bench, you know, late in the game. I don't think Lane Thomas has supplanted Victor Robles, the starting center fielder, but I think it's nice to know that he can play center field. I think you will see him in left field at times because it's not like Yadiel Hernandez needs to play every day, even though he's done a nice job. So we'll see how that one all plays out. But I want to talk about the catchers. Barrera, I think we've had said a few times here, it seemed like Riley Adams had sort of supplanted him a little bit as the number one guy, if, if there is such a thing at this point. I've been impressed with the way that Tress has come back the last couple of starts and looked a lot better at the plate. You put his numbers now, you know, for the season, it's 86 at bat, so it's not a ton. But he's hitting 279, 374 on base percentage, and a 407 slugging percentage. And then Adams in 33 at bats, hitting 333, 421 on base 606 slugging. Now, stretch that over a whole season, are they going to be able to maintain that? Probably not, but there are good signs from both of them about their offensive ability, and I'm not so sure that that's anything that the Nationals ever expected, certainly in Barrera's case because he's thought of as more of a defensive catcher. So I really like what we've seen from those two, and this is getting interesting because we haven't even gotten to Caber Ruiz yet who had a big day in Rochester. And you feel like we're going to be seeing him sooner rather than later. And I'll be fascinated to see how this all plays out and which two of the three end up getting playing time.
0: K. Bert Ruiz hit two home runs on Tuesday night. Here comes the 3-2 to Ruiz and that's swung on and drilled deep right field. And this ball is gone out of the Salt City deck where the SU Alumni Club is sitting. There's such a dearth of good hitting catchers in Major League Baseball that the Nats maybe, possibly, have three young catchers who all can hit. Really is amazing. Now, you know, we can't plant the flag of victory yet on all three, right? But, like, the fact that you can even entertain that notion and not be laughed out of the room really is tremendous. And the Nats have done this over the last few weeks. They went from having, like, nothing a catcher. There was, like, no hope in terms of a good young catcher Now they have three, they potentially have three good hitting catchers, all of whom are young and man, that gives you options. Like even if you say, well, we can't keep all three. Okay, fine. You can play Riley Adams some at first base. You can use a guy as a trade ship. I mean, there are all kinds of things you could do with something like that. This is a pretty remarkable turnaround. You know, I say it with caution. We don't know yet, but that they may have gone from being just in like this abyss when it comes to young catching to now being the envy of, I would think, a lot of major league teams in terms of the catching situation.
1: They have never, Al, in their history, drafted and developed their own consistent, everyday starting big league catcher. Never, not one. The best ones they produced on their own were Pedro Severino and Derek Norris, who you know years ago did make an all-star team for the A's after he was traded for Gio Gonzalez, then came back and things didn't work out for him at all. So yes, they've been able to acquire a few like Wilson Ramos, but for the most part, they've had to go with veterans for a long time now. So all of a sudden to have maybe three young prospects, only one of them is homegrown, Barrera, but they went out and traded for two others that they can now develop and maybe be a big part of this for the long term. It is a huge turnaround for them in an area that has been a huge problem for them over the years.
0: One more thing on Lane Thomas, because I looked this up on Tuesday so Lane Thomas entered games on Tuesday with a 0.6 war per baseball reference with the Nats. That's over six games. That is absurd that he's averaging a tenth of a win above replacement per game so far as a national. That is just nuts to me. Like, you ask the question, have they already won the trade? The answer is yes, and that's not a joke. They've already reaped far more benefit from that trade than anyone could have ever reasonably thought and uh just keep it going man this Lane Thomas thing has been amazing but good to see that these potential building blocks Luis Garcia on Tuesday night and that Nat's three run fourth had a one out double on an 02 pitch was good to see that
1: hang on you you want to know what John Lester's war was for the Nationals
0: it was negative something right
1: negative point .9 and with the Cardinals according to baseball reference and with the Cardinals in only four starts negative point .5 so <laughs> you got Plus 0.6 for Thomas since the trade and minus 0.5 for Lester since the trade. That is a dramatic <laughs> difference in a very short amount of time.
0: It's incredible. It It's something else. You know, this sell-off, I, this could we could end up looking back on this sell-off as something really special. And, and the people that were yelling and screaming about it, you know, I just, it's like, hold on. This could end up being something really monumental for the Nats. Let's see. But uh, you got some really encouraging signs here so far. Uh, some other observations from this Nats win at the Marlins on Tuesday night. Ryan Zimmerman homered for the first time in a long time. Uh, he was the Nats starting first baseman and cleanup batter. One for five, struck out three times, left five men on base, but the one and the one for five was a homer and a big homer, a two run homer to left field on a 1-2 pitch off Lizardo and the top of the fifth for a 5 nothing Nats lead. The homer going a projected 415 feet per stat cast it was just Zimmerman's first homer since July 25th. Juan Soto got on base multiple times again on Tuesday night. One for four with an intentional walk had a leadoff single in that two-run fifth. And then the intentional walk had you like this. Top of the ninth. Runners at the corners. Soto gets walked.
4: You get the intentional walk. Soto's going to be intentionally walked on the 2-0 pitch. With first base occupied. Trying to think if that's happened this year where he's been intentionally walked with first base already occupied. I feel like it has. Maybe once. They're saying we'd rather face Ryan Zimmerman with the bases loaded than you with runners first and third.
0: That's the state of things right now for Juan Soto. Teams would rather load the bases than face Juan with runners at the corners.
1: That was a Barry Bonds style intentional walk. That really was. You don't see that happen with hardly anybody. And poor Zim, because he came up and he smoked a ball up the middle that looked like it was going to eat up Jazz Chisholm, get through and probably score two runs. And Chisholm made an incredible play on it to start a 4 6 3.
4: And the pitch swung on, hit hard. Oh, what a stop by Chisholm, one handed. He flips it over to the shortstop, Rojas, and the throw to first. That is a double play that will end the inning. Sprawling stop, reaching up while he was on the ground to glove it. And then from there, as hit so hard, they had plenty of time to get the double
1: play. I know at times Zim has really struggled in those kind of situations. That one wasn't on him. He hit that ball as well as you could and got robbed.
0: Yadiel Hernandez had another productive offensive game, two for four with a triple and a single. And yes, I said triple. Uh, We're not used to that from Yadiel. But that is a spacious Marlins ballpark. And so he was able to feast on that, sending that ball down the right field line and that Nationals three-run fourth with one out. Yadiel's got an OPS of 826 on the year. And Alcides Escobar, who Mark just never wants to see bat in the number two spot, and I'm like, Mark, you got to give Alcides more opportunity here. Uh, Alcides had himself a multi-hit game in this game. And again, he does this thing, and I give him credit because he does this, he turns water into wine on the routine with these plate appearances where he's down big and he's able to battle back or at least author a hit. Top of the first, he's down 0-2 at one point. He ends up putting forth a one-out full-count double. Good to see that. Top of the ninth, a one-out first-pitch single. And some nice defensive plays. He was a big part of that outfield assist credited to Lane Thomas. And he also had a nice defensive play in the ninth inning. Zim had a nice pick on the play, a nice backhanded pick. But Alcides, uh, he looks pretty smooth at shortstop. So nice job by him.
1: I loved, Al, the hit-and-run single in the ninth. That's what a number two hitter does, right?
0: National League Baseball. In
1: 1985, perhaps, not in 2021. Hey, it worked. It was great. I love that stuff. He's got the skill. He's got the ability to do that kind of thing. It may not fit in what you would typically think in modern baseball, but I think it's a skill and I think he's got it. And given what their alternatives are at this point, I will happily keep watching him play shortstop and bat second for them.
0: Yeah, it uh, was a rough game for Carter Keyboom, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. And he had a bad error, I thought, in the bottom of the first. He was essentially playing second base in a shift. The ball, though, was hit right to him. This was a Jazz Chisholm grounder. And uh, he just butchered the catch of what was a pretty routine grounder hit right to him. So, But otherwise, good night. Lots to like with the Nationals in terms of what went down on Tuesday night. <laughs> Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back For an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code chat. To get in on the action, that's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT, and games on Wednesday night include the Orioles hosting the Angels at 7.05. The O's have lost 19 consecutive games. For the Angels, it will be showtime. The Angels will be starting Shohei Otani, 18 starts this season, an ERA of 279, strikeouts per nine innings of 10.8. Bet your house on Shohei and the Angels.
3: 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager only for risk free bet. Refund issued as is non withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanel.com. Gambling problem call 1 100 522 4700 in Colorado. 1 100 bets off in Iowa. 109 with it Indiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100 gambler New Jersey Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. or in West Virginia visit www100 gamblernet
0: Now to what could be ahead. So first of all, game two of this series, Wednesday night at 710, has one of the more intriguing pitching matchups of this national season, a battle of two of the top pitching prospects in the sport, Josiah Gray versus Edward Cabrera. So you know about Josiah Gray by now. He's a number 54 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. He's looked really good over four starts for the Nats. Edward Cabrera is an even more highly touted prospect as compared to Gray. Cabrera is a number 30 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. He'll be making his major league debut. I don't recall this happening in any recent Nats game, a young Nats pitching prospect, and there haven't been many of them, facing another team's promising young pitching prospect. And in this case, Cabrera's making his major league debut.
1: It's not just rare for the Nats. I think it's rare across the board. I saw the stat earlier in the day, and I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it said that since like 2004, there had not been... A top 100 prospect making his major league debut and facing another fellow top 100 prospect in the same game. That is pretty cool and something to get excited about to watch this one and the kind of matchup that we may be seeing many times down the road. Now, Cabrera supposedly throws a triple digit sinker. I'll be fascinated to see how that looks and whether he can command it and how the Nationals, especially their young hitters, handle that. But what would normally be just a very boring Wednesday night at Marlins Park, sorry, Lone Depot Park, could actually have some juice to it. And maybe they'll draw 6000 for that game, Al, for all the excitement.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, there will be dozens in attendance watching. This could be a real juiced up uh, ballpark and a real great environment come Wednesday night in Miami. Now, speaking of prospects and farm systems and the like. So you could argue everything we just talked about is fine and dandy, but none of it matters as much as what the Nationals did earlier in the day on Tuesday. The Nats on Tuesday promoted three players from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. Among those players was the future ace, the prime pitching prospect, Cade Cavalli. He has been elevated from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. So I want you to take a step back for a moment now and consider Cade Cavalli's season. Nats took him with that number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of Oklahoma. There, of course, was no minor league season last year. He began the season pitching for the high A Wilmington Blue Rocks, then got promoted to the AA Harrisburg Senators, and now has been promoted to the AAA Rochester Red Wings. Cade Cavalli entering games on Tuesday, number one in all of minor league baseball in strikeouts. A hundred. Fifty-one strikeouts. No one in the minors had recorded more strikeouts this season than Cade Cavalli. The 151 strikeouts had come over 98 and two-thirds innings. That works out to 13.8 strikeouts per nine innings, which is absurd. This is a kid in just his age 22 season. The obvious question is, well, does this mean a promotion to the majors could be coming later this season? To that, you say what?
1: I say probably not. I don't think it ever was necessarily in the cards, but I think you could almost make the argument that him being promoted to AAA makes it less likely that he gets called up this year. The reason being, there's only a handful of starts left. The AAA season is going to go through September. They extended it. that normally would end in early September, but because they got off to a late start, they are going to continue. But you don't want to send a guy up to AAA and have him make two or three starts there and then promote him again. Like typically, you're going to want to make at least five or six starts, I would think, at one level before you make that move. So my hunch is, no, I think what the move is about is obviously he's having success at double A and had big time success at single A. What they need to see from him now is how he handles more experienced hitters. And here's the key. We talked about this a few uh, outings ago from him. He gets a whole lot of these strikeouts on pitches that are out of the zone. And at the lower levels of the minor leagues, they chase that kind of stuff. Well, now by the time you get to AAA and you've got a lot of guys who are older players who have big league experience and a little more disciplined at the plate. And I think this is a good test for him now to learn how to keep his pitches effectively in the zone or just off the plate and understand that he's not maybe going to be able to get away with as much outside of the zone. The stuff is fantastic, obviously, and he's good to get his strikeouts. The one little thing that I noticed when you compare the single-A numbers and the double-A numbers, his walk rate doubled from single-A to double-A. He was walking over five batters per nine innings at a level in which hitters are better, but they're still a little bit of free swingers. So what does that mean at the triple-A level? I want to see how he does in that regard, whether he's able to cut down on the walks, whether he is, is able to get outs within the strike zone. So I think that's the next big test for him. Go back to what Mike Rizzo said uh, last month when we asked about him. They have a plan for him. They are watching his innings because, like you said, he, he couldn't pitch last year with no minor leagues. He's at 98 innings now. I could see him getting to about 125, 130 maybe before the season's over. And then I think they want to send him to Arizona to be in the fall league where you face some real elite prospects. That would be a great progression for him to do all of that and then come to spring training next year and compete for a job in the big league rotation. But My guess, you know, things can change. Obviously, if he dominates over two or three starts in AAA, this could always change. But my guess is that he's going to finish out the season at AAA because they want to see him face those hitters first.
0: Yeah, I think everything you just said makes sense. I just always come back to the thing of whenever there's an uber prospect and he's killing it in the minors, he almost always ends up being called up to the majors before anyone thinks will happen, maybe even before the organization ever thought would happen. So it's like I still can't take off the table the idea of him pitching at some point in September. But what you outlined makes a lot of sense. And if he doesn't pitch in the majors this year, that will be such an exciting storyline come spring training next year. Cade Cavalli trying to make the opening day Major League rotation. That'll be an interesting storyline from a service time standpoint, right? Does it behoove you, if you're the Nats, to start him at the Major League level for the start of next season? I would actually say no, so that you know, it could be some controversy with something like that. But the drumbeat is growing louder over these last 24, 36 hours. Gray Cavalli Rutledge. Just keep saying that if you're a Nats fan. Gray Cavalli, Rutledge, especially with those first two, things are trending in a very positive direction.
1: Now, here's the thing with the service time, because I think that's an interesting question as well. If the rules are the same next year, keep in mind, if you start the year on the opening day roster and you never get sent down to the minors, then you would have six years of control of him before it could be a free agent. If under the current rules, you wait three weeks, 21 days before you call him up, you get a seventh year of control of him. If those are the rules again, the Nationals, I'm sorry, they would be crazy to put him on the opening day roster, especially in the position that they're going to be in where they're not really expected to win next year. Even if he dominates spring training, you say he clearly should be in the big leagues. Why would you pass up on a seventh year of control of him in his peak in exchange for three weeks of him in April? Now, do I expect that to still be the rule? Not necessarily. This is one of the major points of contention among the players and their union and has been for a while. Remember Chris Bryant when he was first called up by the Cubs, it was a huge point of contention with him. They even went to arbitration, tried to to fight it and get a, a, him to free agency a year earlier. So, I think that's going to be a major part of the CBA negotiations and I would not be surprised if that changes. But if it is the same, I don't see how, why the Nationals would put him in the big leagues on opening day if that costs them a year at the end of uh, of his time with them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be moronic. And a- any argument to the contrary is ridiculous. That will be so interesting with the CBA negotiations, because obviously, to get something, you have to give something up. And if the owners are going to give that up, the players are going to have to give up something substantial, because that is a big, big weapon that the owners have the service time manipulation. And if they're just going to sacrifice that and punt that away, then the players are going to have to give something of real consequence back. But anyway, we can wage those negotiations at another time. The two other guys who the Nationals promoted from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester on Tuesday, a reliever Andrew Lee, but also starting pitcher Seth Romero. The Seth Romero saga ain't over yet. Apparently there's still hope here. So the Nats took Seth Romero with the number 25 pick in the 2017 MLB draft. When we talk about the decline of the Nationals farm system and these recent bad first round picks, You really could make the case that Seth Romero is kind of like the flagship case of the Nats having gone southward when it comes to their recent first-round picks. So this was a risky selection to begin with. Seth Romero was suspended twice from the University of Houston. Ultimately, was dismissed from the program. He actually was sent home from 2018 Nats spring training for repeated curfew violations. I can't remember that ever happening with anyone else. The Nationals literally saying to a player, go away. We don't want you here anymore. And then he undergoes Tommy John surgery in late August 2018. He did pitch for the Nats briefly as a reliever last season. It's not like he's been slaying it this year. Seth Romero over six starts for AA Harrisburg, in ERA of 531, although his strikeout numbers were excellent, 15.05 strikeouts for nine innings mark this is seth romero's age 25 season do you think there's still hope for this guy to be a contributor in some form starting or relieving at the major league level
1: if it's going to happen it has to happen soon now like you said he's 25 and this is actually the first time he's ever been at triple a which is pretty telling so last year they called him up from the alternative uh, training site in fredericksburg basically because they were running out of pitchers they had a, a ton of injuries they needed somebody they called him up he made three relief appearances for them and then went on the I.L. after he slipped on stairs and broke his wrist, if I remember correctly. You name the calamity it has happened to him over the course of his career, and maybe there are things that are out of his control and just happened, and then there are things that were in his control that he made happen. That was a risky pick from the day they drafted him. They were counting on the fact that the arm was really good and that he could mature beyond what it appeared he was. If he doesn't ever pan out, it probably does go down as their worst first-round draft pick that they've made, and it's not like they've had a a whole lot of great ones here in the last decade. So to me, this is kind of the last chance for him. He's got to stay healthy and be effective and be mature and show that he can now deserve another shot up here. We'll probably see him, I would think, at some point, whether it's later this year or maybe in the future. But I mean, he's not a kid anymore, and there's not a lot of actual performance to bank on to say, well, all the other stuff was worth it. So, I mean, there's a lot of hurdles still for Seth Romero. And, you know, hey, you hope for his case and the team's case that he does put it together and he does prove to have a career for them. But I would say he's pretty quickly running out of time. This might be his last real shot.
0: You think, realistically, he's probably a reliever at the major league level, or do you think they still think he could be a starter at the major league level?
1: They want him to start. They want him to be stretched out for that. And if it becomes clear that he just doesn't have that, that that's not going to be his uh, future, then they'd move him to the bullpen. But I think for now, especially given the dearth of starting pitching prospects that they have, they would love for him to make a couple of good quality starts there. Maybe even we see him start some games in September.
0: Well, these are exciting times for the Nationals. You know, the record doesn't communicate that, but all these other things we've been hitting on do. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at nats underscore chat. You can email us as well, nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to send in a voice memo as we continue to cycle through all of your great memories and experiences from October 2019. Record yourself telling your tale into your smartphone, then email that file to us again. The email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we will leave you with one of our latest and most favorite voice memos. This coming to us from Keith Stoneman of Lincoln, Nebraska.
2: Hey, Alan, Mark, it's Keith Stoneman in Lincoln, Nebraska. I wanted to say thanks for the podcast. And here in Lincoln, Nats fans are few far and in between. So the podcast is like being able to talk to my coworkers about the game every morning. My favorite memory of the 2019 season and the World Series run, the whole thing still feels like a fever dream. But my memory is game two, the NLDS in St. Louis. I road tripped with a friend who's a Cardinals fan, went down to St. Louis. We saw a great game. Max pitched a gem. It was a great memory and a great experience. And of course, the rest of the World Series run. Thanks again for the podcast, and uh, appreciate you guys. One
3: out, bases empty, one and two the count to Wainwright. Here comes Max, and a swing and a miss. He blew him away with a fastball. That's strikeout number 10, the fourth time in Max's career. He has struck out double digits in a postseason game. First time as a national, he has 10 strikeouts here in the 6th.